While I practiced medicine, I was a board member and I really, really enjoyed it. A few things happened in that my father put in an outside CEO. The results were not good. The culture was destroyed. The company was losing money. The board demanded that my father come back in and lead, which he did for nine months. And during that time, we were doing a national search for a new CEO. I was asked to leave the boardroom in April of 2000. And I thought, well, this usually means you're getting fired. I still have my medical license. I can still practice. My husband's working. This will, this will turn out okay. I was invited back into the boardroom and the director at the time said, congratulations, you're the new president of Minmark Corporation. I was stunned. I honestly didn't have the presence of mind to say no. I did say as a shareholder, this is very financially irresponsible. A doctor with no experience running a company that's losing money. When you read Alita's bio, what do you usually get? Their impressive credentials? Yes. Their deep expertise? Of course. And definitely a long list of accomplishments accompanied by a lot of superlatives, such as he has one of the greatest investment acumens of his generation. Or maybe something like she is strategic and bold and relentless in taking her company from a meager startup to an IPO sensation. These descriptions are all logical to include in a leader's bio, and yet these credentials and accomplishments added together do not give us a story yet. A great leadership story isn't only about she's successful because. A great leadership story is also about she's successful despite. Hi, my name is Esther Choi, the executive producer and your host of John L. Ward Center for Family Enterprises' own podcast series, Family in Business, a podcast that features stories of leaders, their families, and the family enterprises they transformed. In this episode, you'll meet a fourth-generation former CEO and current chair of the board of a 105-year-old family enterprise. When Anne started out, she did not have any educational or professional training to prepare her to sit at the helm. In fact, her CEO father didn't groom her as a successor in the first place, and he never seemed to be happy with any of her accomplishments, no matter how accomplished she was. Despite. Despite all of these obstacles and more, Anne succeeded as a leader in the transformation of her family enterprise. By the way, Who's Anne? My name is Anne Eidek-Klamar, MD, Chair of the Board of Directors for Midmark Corporation. Midmark is a medical device company headquartered in Dayton, Ohio. When you read Anne's board bio, you will be impressed by what she has accomplished. In the 15 years when she served as president and CEO, she reduced product lead times from 12 weeks to three days, and she increased on-time product shipments from 65% to 98.5%. She expanded Midmark's presence in the medical market and dental market while entering the animal health market, now a 100 million division. And she also acquired nine companies and integrated two digital acquisitions. Now, as if that's not enough, 
as chair of Mitmark and led the company through a C-Core to S-Core conversion while concomitantly executed a $94 million share buyback, reducing the number of shareholders from 144 to 66 and establishing an ITIN family majority position for the company. I feel exhausted and even a bit intimidated by just reading all her accomplishments. But restricting ourselves to just knowing these accomplishments is almost like robbing ourselves from having the true treasure of Anne's story, the crux of which lies in the obstacles she overcame. And there were quite a few. Number one, how did she lead the company with no business background whatsoever? I had a great board and they really, really, really gave me a lot of mentoring. And then I went to school and went to school and went to school. (laughs) and learned on the job at School of Hard Knocks. <laughs> I did a three-year program at Harvard Business School. It was called the OPM, Owners and Presidents Management. Not an MBA, but a three-week program a year, every year for three years. They worked us really, really hard. But that was also a pivotal moment for me walking across that stage at graduation when I realized how far I had come. I by far was not the smartest person in that class, but I could work harder than most. And that gave me great confidence in looking toward the future. I now have the Kellogg Executive Scholar experience. Good for her. She might have started out with a deficit in business education, but boy, does she more than make up for it. Still, education is one thing, reality is another. This brings us to obstacle number two. What was it like for her to transition from working as a physician to the president and then CEO of a large business enterprise. This was one of the more challenging moments of my career. In 2014, we had a board meeting in June and my chief operating officer assured the board and me that our quality and regulatory are just fine. We're good with the FDA, everything's great. Fast forward a month, we get an FDA inspection with 11 write-ups And the FDA went back and said, you've had write-ups before that you never closed. That was unnerving. However, we involved a couple consultants to come in and say, you know, what do we need to do? What's wrong? And one of the consultants said, I need to tell you, the FDA could build a case to shut you down. They'll lock your doors. Your teammates will have nothing. And they will not reopen until you're regulatory compliant. And they're going to run you, basically during that period of time. And I was literally sick to my stomach, realizing that on my watch, I could have lost hundreds of millions of dollars of shareholder value because of an oversight that I was unaware of. It was a very humbling moment, but also very motivating because we knew we had a lot of work to do and we needed to do it fast. It's taken years on our quality and regulatory journey But because we make medical devices like sterilizers, like digital diagnostics, like digital imaging, we have to be fully FDA compliant, and now we are. As devastating as it could be to be shut down by the FDA, there was one bigger obstacle lurking in the background. This one was even harder to overcome.
coming from the medical side, from the physician side. When you practice medicine, people come to you. They ask you for advice about something physical or mental. You tell them what you know or what you will find out if you don't know it. They pay you. And that's how that cycle goes. And it's a fast cycle. It's every 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, depending on the patient. When you go into business and you tell people what to do, it doesn't go very well, especially when you have no credibility because you are the boss's daughter, as I was in that situation. And I just realized after a year or so that I wasn't a very effective leader. I couldn't lead people through things. I didn't know how to build consensus. But I had a really great coach that four years later sat me down and said, I would like to interview your people. I'm trying to coach you on leadership and there's something missing that I can't see here. Can I interview your people? And I said, absolutely, please. I'm here because I want to be a more effective leader. So he took six weeks and interviewed all my teammates, my executive team, and a few other people. And when we finally sat down, he said, I'm just going to level with you. Your people don't like you. They don't trust you. They don't think you're kind. They don't think you have their backs. And I was horrified. I was stunned. I was shocked, literally. That was the real beginning of my leadership journey in business. I went to all of my team members and apologized, not realizing the kind of leadership that I had brought to the office with me. I did a lot of coaching and training and reading and about consensus building. Several years later, I felt as though it was all worth the investment because when you have a high functioning team, you know, there's that special feeling that you get when you have a really high functioning team. And During those few years, I learned what that felt like, and it's a great feeling. There's nothing more fun than leading an excellent team. We had each other's backs. We cared about one another. I became a consensus builder, maybe even too much to the other side because I like to build consensus, but it was humbling and impactful moment in my journey that led me to be, I believe, the leader that I was for years. We had a chance to speak a couple of times before And you just strike me as someone who is so, so thoughtful and so kind and compassionate. And I can't picture you not coming across as not getting someone's back, especially somebody who works for you. What was it? A lot of my leadership journey at Minmark boils down to a very personal issue with my father. He has some natural tendencies that make sure that you will never be good enough. And so as you grow up with that, you know, I thought, well, if I go to medical school, I mean, how can he complain about that? Well, if I run his company, how can he complain about that? So I tried as hard as I could to be as forceful as I could to get good results to prove to him that I could run his company at a time when his coaching for me wasn't in line with the coaching that I knew I needed. All those years under the coaching, caused me to really change my perspective. And because I recognized I don't want to be the leader my father was. I want to be me as a leader, not him. It also impacted the choice that I made to leave the CEO role in 2015. I'd been the president CEO for 15 years, ton of fun, chose it, was elected. I love my team. But I woke up one morning after I had an employment agreement end, looked in the mirror and said, you don't have to do this anymore. You've done it 15 years. You've given your best. And guess what? Your father still doesn't approve of you. Growing up, Anne's father didn't groom her as his successor. 
Decades later, during a time when the family came to a forked row where the prospect of selling the company became a possibility, Anne and her husband had a decision to make. My dad in 1998, after the failed succession, thought that perhaps he would want to sell the company. And Rob and I, my husband and I went out to dinner with him and he said, you know, my back's against the wall. I don't want to come back and work full time and travel. I've retired. Probably the best option is to sell the company. That was a very hard statement for him to make. Rob and I took a deep breath. We recognized that if we sold the company, we would financially be well-to-do enough. And we had more than enough. Why would we want more money? But most importantly was to raise our two boys with the concept of legacy, that it's not just your time on the planet and it's not just making a ton of money. It's about the community that we would lose if we sold the company. It was about raising boys that would be financially well off and maybe not understanding scarcity or hard work. We didn't want the company to be sold. That would put teammates out of work. And we live in the community, 2,500 people. We're a part of the community. I see teammates at work. I see them in church. I see them at the grocery store. And to look those people in the eye, it was against my value set. And Rob's too, fortunately. Approved by her father or not, with the support of her husband, Anne went about her decision-making based on her own values. At the time, she might not have recognized as core trade herself, but her board did. And that's why Mintmark's board of directors chose her as the new president, despite not having any business training. The board's explanation at the time was, We know you, we trust you, we know your values, you're smart enough to learn, and you're a family member. So we know that you are always going to have the best interest of the organization at heart and work toward that end. Not only was her board right about her, it also chose a leader that clearly delineated the difference between a family business versus a family in business. Family business reminds me of an obligation, like the son has to take over for the father. And it feels like there's maybe a difficult set of choices or maybe not. It also feels like family members might be disempowered by the situation if they don't feel that they have a choice, whether they have the, the aptitude to be a leader or families in business. For me, the family exists to serve the business. We are a part of the company. My two siblings are still employed there. I chair the board of directors. So we are in the business. But more importantly, when we think about the next generation of teammates or of shareholders or of family, it's our responsibility to do the best we can to build family governance, family values, storytelling for the next generation, because It's not for us. It's building this incredible gift. We're stewards of an incredible gift, and we need to be responsible for it and take good care of it so that it can be passed to the next generation. That's the key difference that really hit me hard as I was thinking the question through. I know a lot of family businesses that I would characterize as non-sustainable because it's the other governance, family governance work and family work 
an ability to want to put the good of the company first and foremost, which my siblings and I will tell you that's most important. And that's a family in business. We recently had a my generation and spouses and our next generation, the oldest of which is 32, the youngest of which is 16. There are six of them. And we were on a Zoom together on a Sunday, just right after this COVID thing came out because we needed to kind of hear how all of them were being impacted as well. And when I brought up the topic of we don't know what this is going to do to to the dividends, I mean, we have to pay shareholder taxes, enough for shareholders to pay taxes, but we had also in addition paid a reasonable, but enough that it would make you sit up a little bit, extra dividend. And it was the next generation the oldest four that said, let's give up the dividend right now. We have jobs. We don't need the money. That's our rainy day money. We love it. But if it's going to be the thing that helps save the company and change it to the future, that's what we think is the right thing to do. I was humbled in a really positive way. Even my siblings were jumping in on that because of different lifestyles. But the next gens were, I was just very, very proud of them. So that felt to me like a family in business moment where we exist to serve the company. Thank you for tuning into Family in Business, a podcast sponsored by the John L. Ward Center for Family Enterprises. Thank you again, Dr. N. Eiting-Klamar, Chair of the Board of Mitmark Corporation. We have some good news of our own. You might have noticed that the Kellogg Center for Family Enterprises has been renamed to the John L. Ward Center for Family Enterprises. In recognition of a $10 million gift from the Tornado Foundation in Singapore, the gift honors clinical professor emeritus John Ward, who served as co-director of the center for nearly two decades and was one of the first scholars to put science behind the field of family enterprise. Since Professor Ward co-founded the center, Thousands upon thousands of family members, leaders, and non-family executives have attended our executive education programs. In addition to the immersive learning experience, our participants have also created new communities with one another. In fact, Anne was in one of our board governance programs, and she made the following connection with a classmate of hers at Kellogg. This is interesting. One of my classmates in our, the last course I took, Board Governance, is actually interviewing to be one of my directors. She was a rock star in class. So I encourage you to check out our offerings at our new URL, wardcenter.net. That's wardcenter.net. That wraps up our episode this month. Our show is supported and advised by Dr. Jennifer Pentecost. Kane Power is our audio engineer, and I'm Esther Choi, the executive producer, your host, and author of the book, Let the Story Do the Work. Thank you so much for tuning in, and let's meet again at the next episode of Family in Business.